Thank you, Jimmy and SK and Allie. Uh, thanks for being here today. Uh, I do look forward to a time in which this worship center will be uh, full and we have a time of worship together with a full crowd. But thank you so much for being here today. Uh, we really calendared uh, this sermon series months ago, but how timely it is for us today. As we sit here today, I just ask you, what's your compass north? If you had a fill in the blank that you had in front of you, in which it just asked the question, uh, what would you say is the foundational truth that guides you for you to make decisions? What is it? What would you say? Today we begin this brand new sermon series uh, that Greg mentioned about building blocks, thus the Legos. And I'm so grateful for the creative team that spent hours upon hours creating this for us just for a visual because we're going to be talking about the different building blocks for our faith. A great book that I highly recommend for you uh, was written by Wayne Grudem. It's going to be on the screen. I wish I had this book uh, when I was in seminary because it not only talks about the Scripture, but it also uh, puts succinctly uh, the words for us about uh, biblical doctrine because uh, the subtitle of that book is Essential Truths uh, for Building Your Life On. Uh, today, our first building block deals with absolute truth. Now, absolute truth is huge, and it is deep. Uh, absolute truth is a struggle that we're wrestling with today uh, in our culture. Uh, we're going to wade deep. We're going to go deep for just a bit, so you just hang on. But today, as we talk about absolute truth, the question we ask is, what is truth? To ask that question, you may immediately go to a movie in which Jack Nicholson starred in, in which he said, truth, you can't handle the truth, uh, but we can handle the truth. Uh, the definition we find in the dictionary for truth is simply this, a statement proven to be accepted as true or established or verified fact. Uh, that's head-scratcher. But it's like me saying that the top of this table is brown. You would agree with that, right? The top of this table is brown. It's absolutely true. But others would say, no, Bill, it isn't brown. It is umber. It is reddish brown. And that's the problem that we have in our culture today is we deal with absolute truth. Here's why. In our world today, some people say there is no absolute truth. Have you heard that? Of course you have. For them, they say there are only vague perceptions, there are only opinions that are out there depending on who you are, where you are, where you live, because it's different for that part of the country as it is for down here where we believe. It's an each-to-your-own type value system, because what your values are, uh, may not be my values. Uh, we say umber, uh, you say brown. You see what I'm talking about? That may be a weak illustration, but I think it's really uh, important for us to understand what we're about to talk about. Uh, those who hold this view that there's no such thing as absolute truth in life, they believe that there cannot be just one absolute truth. 
because everything is uh, connected, everything is relevant, they use that term, or dependent on something else. They will say this, uh, because of this dependence of this thing or this moral value or uh, this truth, whatever you want to name, that is dependent on something else or another thing, another moral truth or another uh, value that's over here. There is not one absolute truth that supports all of those things. That's what they would say, because this is dependent on that. Are you with me? For them, there's no singular truth, no building block, single building block for all of those truths that we have in life. There's no authority for deciding which uh, activity is positive or negative, no authority for what is right or wrong, because what might be right for you may prove to be wrong for me. And because there's no right or wrong, whatever feels right, whatever seems right in the current situation uh, is the right thing that you do then. Sound familiar with what we're dealing with, what we watch on the news, what we are living with in our culture. But it is an age-old problem. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, just go and read in Scripture about the city of Corinth. Read about the city of Ephesus. It is an age-old problem where what is good for you is good for you, what is good for me is good for me. It is an age-old problem, but bottom line, it is this. <clears throat> Whatever feels good mentality and lifestyle will eventually lead to a devastating effect on that society and on the individuals within that society. Today, if you hear the words post-modern, then that's what it means. It's creating a society, a society uh, that regards all values, all beliefs, all lifestyles, all religions, and all truth as equal and valid because there's no one thing that is above the other. Yet to make a statement like that is truly illogical. And today many people embrace a culture just like that, but it's illogical. A good question to ask people that say there's no absolute truth, uh, to ask them the question, are you absolutely sure? Because if they answer yes, then they've just blown their argument right out of the water. Because they just said there is an absolute uh, that they are leaning in on, absolute truth. Uh, we just have to know as we talk about this, what our uh, Christian values, our beliefs butt up against. What, what is it that's within our culture? <clears throat> we have to identify those things for us to be able to address how we live, where anything goes, society. Now, there are many arguments that back and they, they, they uh, battle back and forth against this <clears throat> counter uh, cultural relativism that we live in, a viewpoint, and they clearly show ev evidence of the absolute truth uh, that's in our world. Uh, we aren't going to go to those additional arguments because I want us to go to this one. The one that you hold in your hand, 
the one that is so important for us as followers of Christ to understand. Uh, let's talk about that. Because do you believe that God's word is foundational for guiding your life and being absolutely true? Do you? Do you believe that God's word is an inerrant word of God? Do you? All of us are quick to say that we believe in the Bible. We regard it as inspired, authoritative. We say that scripture communicates God's truth, don't we? With all that lip service we give the Bible, and how it can serve as a standard to guide our life. And because it's God's word, it is absolutely true. Yet there's a problem. Most people are absolutely oblivious to the context, to the content, to the meaning, and to the core message of what we say is true. Mark Twain said it this way. He said, the Bible is classic. A classic book is a book that people praise, but they do not read. As a pastor, one of my greatest concerns is a lack of biblical knowledge that's among those of us who call ourselves Christ followers. As a pastor, one of my greatest concerns for Christianity is a lack of us as Christians reading God's Word. Christians are very spiritually malnourished today. Many have no idea what the Bible teaches. Many are biblically illiter illiterate. They are theologically shallow. How can we build our lives on God's Word Allowing it to be foundational to help us in our decisions that we make if we don't know what it says. How can you stand on God's truth for it to be absolutely true if you don't know what it says? If you don't know what it says, how do you know it's trustworthy? We're quick to say that we believe the Bible is trustworthy. But how do you know? So let's talk about the credibility of God's Word today. What is foundational for us? What is the building block for us to know the credibility of God's Word? Well, let's begin here. Let's talk about what the Bible claims itself to be. <clears throat> If you look in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, here's what you read. <clears throat> it's going to be on the screen. It says, all Scripture is God-breathed. Think about this. That is the God-breathed. The way it's translated in the original Greek, it says it is breathed out by God. So all scripture is God and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Verse 17, so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Jesus validated scripture and it's trustworthy, 
trustworthiness by quoting Scripture. If you read through the Gospels, Matthew through John, you'll see what I'm talking about because Jesus quoted uh, the Old Testament over and over and over dozens of times. It's as if Jesus is anticipating centuries later that a guy standing on a stage in uh, South Haven, Mississippi and convincing those who are watching in that this is trustworthy. Jesus quotes and makes references to some of the greatest miracles that we find in the Old Testament. Take, for example, uh, in Matthew, Jesus refers to Jonah and that miracle. Uh, Jesus makes reference by saying, just as Jonah was swallowed by a fish and was in the belly of that fish for three days, so that the Son of Man will also be in the grave for three days. Jesus is making an analogy. He's confirming the truth of Scripture. The story of Jonah is not a myth. We believe that it is an absolutely true story. And you say, Bill, are you taking the the literal uh, avenue of Scripture here? How can you say that? But it is true. If you can believe the very first verse of the Bible, then you can believe anything else. In Genesis 1-1, it says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you can believe that that is true, that God put all this beauty in place, that he created everything, we should not have trouble in understanding that God created a big fish that swallowed a guy that spit him out on the shore. If we we believe Genesis 1-1, we should not have problems with understanding what God did with Jonah. Why would it be so hard to believe that God would raise Jesus from the dead? Why would it be so hard to believe that God created a written account, the Bible, uh, for us to have reassurance and give us direction and help us make decisions in life? Decisions like, who is God? Decisions like, why am I here? Uh, How can I fight temptation? What is God's plan for my life, or how can I get to heaven? Maybe here's the bigger problem. It takes more faith not to believe in the book than it does to believe in the book. On the screen, Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13, and we thank God continually because... When you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men... But as it actually is, the Word of God, which is what? At work in you who believe. So we can trust this book to be absolutely true. We believe that it contains the very Word of God, the absolute truth for our life. We can believe that because of what it claims to be. It claims to be God's Word. We can also believe and trust this book to be true because of the historical accuracy that supports it. Here's something we need to know. The reliability of God's Word. Uh, In the first century, uh, the Bible was not like this. It was on a scroll, and they would roll the scroll out, and they would find what they were trying to find. But when that manuscript, that scroll got uh, worn, they hired professional scribes to copy that original onto the next manuscript. 
the reliability was like this, that they began to count every word that was across the line, and they made a note of it, calculation. Uh, every that, word that was in a column, uh, they calculated it. And every word that was used in the manuscript, they calculated it, making sure that it, there was not a mistake in any of the uh, secondary uh, manuscripts. If there were more than three mistakes that were ever found, then that was uh, um, immediately destroyed. And they began over. So we can trust that what was written from the original manuscript we have uh, today. Uh, it's reliable. And that's something for us to understand. Uh, so what we read in the Bible today is reliably, reliably God's Word as it was originally written. So we have the claims of the Bible. We have the historical accuracy. Uh, another fact that convinced that the Bible is absolutely source of truth uh, deals with consistency. God used 40 different authors on three different continents over a 1,500-year time span to create 66 books that we have. Think about that. 40 authors, three continents, 1,500 years, 66 books with one central consistent theme that runs throughout the Bible. And what's that theme? God wants a relationship with his people throughout all 66 books. So we have that consistency. And another argument that allows us to know that God's word can be trusted is science and also prophecy. For instance, a couple of just examples of deals with science. Um, people originally believed that the earth was flat. We studied that in school, right? Christopher Columbus and those explorers and things like that. But if you read in Scripture and spent time in that, it says in Isaiah, uh, the world's not flat. But in Isaiah it says, God sits above the circle of the earth. We can go further. In Leviticus, uh, we find out the value of the blood to the human body. In Leviticus, it says the life of the body is the blood. Astrologers had no idea of the vast number of stars. But we can read in Jeremiah 33, the stars of the sky cannot be counted and sand on the seashore cannot be measured. So it isn't just science that proves the trustworthy of Scripture, but it's also prophecy. Fulfilled prophecy distinguishes the Bible from any other religious book. The Bible has accurately predicted hundreds of years before it ever happened prophecy that would take place in the life of the Messiah. Jesus fulfilled 333 prophecies in 61 different areas of his life. Think about that. What's the likelihood of that happening? Uh, they've done some statistical uh, report on that for eight prophecies to happen in the life of one person, it would be t one to 10 to uh, the 28th power. That's one times 10 with 28 zeros behind it. Yet Jesus fulfilled 333 prophecies like he would be born of a virgin. He'd be betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver. 
Uh, they predicted in a prophecy that they would cast lots for his garment. They predicted in a prophecy that he would be crucified between two thieves. In Psalm 22, you read about uh, the, the, the prophecy of crucifixion. It hadn't even been invented yet. But yet you read it hundreds of years beforehand in Psalm 22. In 2 Peter 1, verse 20, it's going to be on the screen. It says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. But look at the last part of this sentence. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Here's where this absolute truth settles. It's a lot of stuff. As I said, we got a lot to chew on today, and it's a deep, it's a wide subject. But here's where it shakes down for me. The Bible, God's Word, is absolutely true. If it was true back then, it's true today. It's going to be true tomorrow. And it will help us in our decisions on certain areas of our life, like sin, like forgiveness, like human nature, like death, like eternity. You cannot guess on those issues of what might be true when God's Word says this is true. That is where we base our life. There's a paragraph I came across. You can Google this. You can find it yourself. The author is unknown, but it says the Bible contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy. Its precepts are binding. Its histories are true, and its decisions are undisputable. Read it to be wise, it says. Believe it to be safe. Practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, comfort to cheer you on. It is a traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's character. Here, paradise is restored. Heaven opened and the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is its grand object. Our good is its design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, guide the feet, read it slowly, frequently, prayerfully. It is given to you in life and will be opened in judgment and will be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, will reward the greatest labor, and will condemn all who trifle with its sacred contents. 500 years ago, Martin Luther wrote these words. In the Bible, God speaks. Scripture are his word. Hear and read the scripture as nothing else but to hear from God himself. Unquote. So if you want to hear the voice of God, the voice of truth that we just sang about, allow God to guide your path, then we have to open up his word. We have to allow it to fill our heart, guide our path, help us with our decisions.
And that is on us. He's done his part. It is absolutely true. It is our compass north. Absolute truth. Building block number one.